Scene 7. A long shot. Shade Gap, five miles northwest of Tuscarora Mountain. Spy Woden's Day, Matins. After midnight, 5th of April, 1284. The trees do not grow tall on the mountaintops overlooking the Shade Gap, but Lynx perches himself 200 yards away on an aspen tree with enough foliage to conceal his movements. Xena crouches close behind him, still wondering why exactly Lynx invited her out to spy on this goblin ritual. Although the greenish-yellow glow from the tips of the goblin torchbearer's ten-foot poles cast an unnatural hue across the horizon like a grim dawn, the evening stars are still romantic, so she decides to focus on the starlight and daydream the night away while Lynx figures out what he really wants to do here. Her thoughts drift to seven wedding plans to match seven different scenarios that she can imagine wherein Ganyan finally confesses that he loves her. Her reveries halt when she notices the halfling monk, whom we know to be Brother Umbert, pointing straight at them. Most of the goblins turn their heads to look, but the goblin king remains entranced, ready to carry out the sacrifice. Lynx shudders. Two hundred yards away, foul spirits gamble and innocent lives are under the knife. The wind blows one way, then the next. He steadies his bow arm, draws the bowstring back, and exhales. Casting fate to the wind, Lynx sends his shot. The yellow-fletched arrow streaks through the dark toward the heart of the Goblin King on a mission of mercy to save the two monks from a diabolical death. It misses. The arrow glides high and wide, then unexpectedly buries itself in the Goblin King's wrist. Covered with Kool-Aid and spittle, the Goblin King drops the ceremonial dagger. Blood drips freely down past his elbow, but his trance is undisturbed. Uncomfortable groans reverberate on the mountaintop, and the goblins' faces are covered with worry and discord. For devout goblins, interrupting a human sacrifice is a very ill omen indeed. The goblin king, not realizing he dropped the sacrificial dagger, purses his lips and readies himself to finish it. Sir Robert Rogers' hostage, the goblin with long, dark hair, smiles confidently, seeing the confusion well up. With a sudden lurch of his head backwards, he breaks Sir Robert Rogers' nose. All it takes is a quick flick of his wrist, and he twists the long knife away from his throat. The black-haired goblin gives the ranger a fierce elbow in the chest, knocking the wind out of him, then snatches the steel hatchet from his belt. The wheezing ranger captain looks on helplessly as the black-haired goblin runs toward the sacrificial altar, calling out, Quid pro quo! Mass chaos breaks out among the goblins. They hack and slash at each other mercilessly. Not sure if Lynx angered them with his sacrilegious interpretation of the ceremony, or if they are just too prone to infighting for their own good, Xena snaps into action. She strings her own bow and starts launching poisoned arrows into the wild press of scuffling goblins. Elves are not particularly fond of goblins, especially these goblins who have been terrorizing travelers in the forests around Tuscarora Mountain. Being an elf of her times, Xena enjoys the chance to bloody her enemies with too much zeal. Lynx tugs at her sleeve and urges her. Come on, Mademoiselle Xena, now we can rescue the halflings and the humans. Taking great satisfaction in dealing out death and destruction, she brushes him off. It's still too risky. Let's improve the odds by killing off these goblins. Back on the altar, straining under the weight of a dead goblinist fallen on top of him, Brother Umbert whirls his eyes around and hatches a plan. He whispers as loud as he can without attracting attention to the young monk. What's your name, Frater? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Brother David was my religious name, he says, unsure of himself. 
but I don't think I'm a Carmelite anymore, so I'm supposed to go by my baptismal name, but I was a foundling on the monastery doorstep, and no one ever told me my baptismal name. Whatever your canonical status with the Carmelites may be, you're still a cleric. I'll call you Brother Clark. Why Clark? asks the confused young monk. Brother Umbert cannot help but throw in some of his knowledge. Have you ever heard of a cooper? Sure, that's a barrel maker. How about a Wainwright? Um, I think they're in the wagon business. Right. A cooper is trained to make barrels, and a Wainwright is trained to fix wagons. Likewise, a clerk is trained as a cleric to heal, counsel, and guide. You're trained. That makes you a clerk, doesn't it, Frater? I suppose it does. Good. Now then. Brother Clark, the ceremonial dagger is right behind you. Just scooch back a bit and cut yourself free. Brother Clark rolls under the ceremonial dagger in an attempt to grab hold of it. He wiggles around so he can slide his fingers around the handle, but his blind attempts wind up with him accidentally cutting his ring finger deeply before he finally succeeds in clutching the handle and sliding the blade against the ropes. The dagger is so sharp that it easily slices through the thick vines used to bind his hands. When he turns to free Brother Umbert, he notices that his right hand is covered with blood. The dagger itself is nothing more than a four-inch-long phoenix claw fused onto the top of a stick with a glob of melted copper to bind them together. There is no attempt at artistry or even tidiness in the craftsmanship, but its sharpness alone explains why it was chosen as a sacred implement in a ritual sacrifice. Instead of rescuing Brother Umbert, the young monk sways, waving the dagger around recklessly. Brother Umbert barks. Hey, watch where you swing that thing! Don't you know that a phoenix talon has powerful soporific effects? Brother Clark yawns and asks, What does soporific mean? That means it will put you to sleep. Before he finishes his sentence, Brother Clark collapses back onto the altar, snoring as loud as a lion sleeping in the night. Wilhelm Scream Back up in the aspen tree overlooking the ritual site, Link sees the young human monk tumble over right before freeing the halfling monk. He dreads the worst for them and announces to Xena, who is still sending poisoned arrows into the crowd of goblins, I'm going to rescue the innocent people down there before the goblins kill them all. Xena cannot believe Link's naive plan. She whispers back harshly, No, you can't go. There are still too many goblins. Besides, even if you do free them, the humans would stab you in the back. Why would they do that if we're helping them? Humans are the most ungrateful of all the Claiborne. If they see your valuables, they wouldn't bat an eyelash at murdering the very same elf who saved them from bondage to steal it all. Link wipes the sweat from his brow. I'll just free the two halflings and they can free the humans. The goblins will hear you and run you down. It's my life I'm risking, not yours. Xena raises her voice, welling up with emotion. Lynx, I care about you. I really do. You're so precious to me. Please don't risk your life just to save those humans. They're not worth it. Lynx pauses for a moment, trying to hold back the tears. A black-haired, weem-away goblin appears at the sacrifice site, rifling through the belongings of the rangers and bundling up their spare weapons to take away. One ranger, Sir Thomas, resists, and the goblin stabs him in the ribs with cold disinterest. Lynx looks Zena in the eye and says, I know you can't appreciate it, but I can't turn a blind eye while innocent lives are lost, even if they are only humans. Link surveys the scene to find the best path for sneaking over to free the captives. A rocky gully allows him a quick and concealed path to the altar. 
With his plan decided upon, he quietly slides down the aspen tree and starts to sneak over to rescue the halfling. Before he gets far, he spots a little nook in a large pile of rocks that would make a perfect hiding spot and slides himself in. Hey, watch it, says an older elf's voice in Eldrick from deeper inside the nook. Ah! The surprise of getting caught soon fades into wonderment at finding another fire elf in his hiding spot. When his heartbeat settles down, Lynx asks in Eldrick, Who are you? Master Shoemaker, Gulliber, Swiftson of Clan Adidazar, at your service. Am I safe in guessing you are a fellow wood elf of Tuscarora? You are, but your name is not familiar to me. That's because I disappeared from Tuscarora Mountain before you were born. Anyway, no time to chit-chat. I'm here to rescue these humans. Actually, I was just going to rescue the halfling and then let him help the humans escape. A good friend warned me not to trust humans. They have a reputation for ingratitude. Besides, my mother always told me that traipsing around with goblins lurking about is not good for my health. Master Gulliver nods. All too true. Let's free that garrulous halfling up there on the altar, but be careful. Try to keep in step with me. Master Gulliver pops his head up to check for goblins. Confident no one has seen him, he waves to Lynx, and the two wood elves crawl up on the altar. There is a dead goblinous warrior splayed across Brother Umbert. Her huge frame pins his arms and legs down so that he can't budge an inch. Master Gulliver moves next to Brother Umbert, lies down on his back, and gets his legs under the dead goblinous. Lynx catches on and positions himself side by side. With a silent heave-ho, they roll her off the altar. The halfling monk seems to be thanking them, but his babbling is in a language they don't understand. Lynx simply draws his leaf-bladed short sword and cuts through the vines that were tying the halfling monk's hands together. He whispers to Master Gulliver, Job's done. Let's get out of here. Suddenly, they both turn their heads to see a goblin running toward them. Master Gulliver lets out a foul word. On foot, goblins are the fastest runners of all the races in Vinland, so both elves duck behind the other side of the altar and try to vanish from sight. Lynx gets down on his hands and bear walks to a corner of the altar where he can tuck himself inside a small niche. The sound of the goblin's footsteps moves up onto the altar. Lynx readies his short sword and smears the blade with some poison. He does not have the kind of money to afford an exceptionally fast-acting nerve agent, but if he can get in a first prick with a surprise attack and wear the goblin down with a few adroit dodges and parries, he would have a chance at winning the fight. As usual... Nothing goes according to plan. The goblin leaps down from the altar and lands facing Lynx, who is still wedged in his hiding spot. Lynx lunges forward to stab the goblin, but a quick swipe from the goblin's war club knocks his short sword out of his hand. Cornered, Lynx tries to slip by him, but the goblin snatches Lynx by the scruff of his neck, lifts him into the air, and squeezes slowly to make him suffer. As Lynx dangles up off his feet above the ground, trying desperately to pry the powerful fingers from around his throat, he kicks and punches to no avail. Just as he feels he is about to pass out, he drops to the ground like a potato sack and bangs his knee on a rock. Catching his breath, he turns around to see Xena standing triumphantly over the goblin's lifeless body. She does have the money to afford quick and deadly poisons for her sword and arrows, she twirls her sleek blade in the air and asks with a big, friendly smile, Why do I always have to save your- Ah! A second lurking goblin, cloaked in a black bear's pelt, crushes Xena's sword arm and right hip with a dreadful swipe of his ashen club. 
It is a swift and silent blow, but the raw power in the goblin's arm crashes into her lithe frame, shattering bones and sending her into shock. The goblin bends down and starts picking the jewelry off her while she moans in delirious agony. Unarmed, Lynx's grief-crazed mind can only come up with one plan, a desperate charge with his bare hands. The goblin looks up, but carelessly swats him aside with a heavy backhand, then gets back to picking the jewelry off Xena's outfit and limbs. Lynx sees stars and can't figure out which way is up, never mind getting back on his feet for another charge. Master Gulliber whistles at the goblin and calls him in Eldrick, saying, Yoo-hoo! Over here! Which would have sounded to our modern English ears more like, Thou eat trash! Hernia! Had we been there ourselves. Next to him, Lynx sees a vaguely familiar older elf dangle her jewelry like a curbside sales rep. Having helped himself to the most impressive pieces from Xena's outfit, the goblin swaggers over with the same greedy confidence as an unnoticed five-year-old stealing the prize from an open cereal box down a lonely supermarket aisle. Just as the goblin reaches for the jewelry, the elf lady unfurls a sling, twirls it twice, and hurls the stone at the goblin's masculine parts for an up-close and personal sales pitch. The goblin keels over. Master Gulliber grabs Xena's poisoned blade and sticks it to him. Their boldness breathes new life into Lynx. He wills himself back into action and hoists Xena's broken body into his arms. Moving a trauma patient with possible spine, neck, and head injuries is a bad idea, but Lynx does not think. He runs on pure emotion, grief, passion, anger, fear, desperation, holding Xena close to his chest and hoping that somehow getting her back to Tuscarora Mountain will save her. He runs. And he runs. The dark earth haunts his mind. Time takes its toll. His berserker frenzy chills. The thorns scrape his legs. The weight of Xena's body burns the muscles in his arms. His chest heaves. The wind scrapes his lungs. A low-hanging branch smacks his head. Through an opening in the trees, he sees the garden gnome village on the edges of the marchlands of Tuscarora Mountain. Garden gnomes have good doctors. With that one grain of blind hope, he collapses. Xena wavers in and out of consciousness and moans. The goblins, watch out, Mr. Lynx. Lynx, sincerely touched by her concern and utterly exhausted, says, Hush, my darling. Don't fear, my darling. The goblins sleep tonight. She stammers. But, but where are we? Near the village, the peaceful gnome village. The goblins sleep tonight. When will we go home? When daylight comes, we'll go home. Zena asks, Is it okay if I sleep then? Yes, my darling, to sleep, perchance to dream. With that, they both pass out amid the shrubs of the marchlands. <laughs>